There's an organization called RIP Medical Debt, and we can use this remaining $1,000 to abolish $100,000 in medical debt. I'm Mitch. And I'm Missy. We're co-workers. He's the boss, and we're married. And she's the boss. Together, we host Good Faith Weekly, a podcast on faith and culture. What could possibly go wrong? Tune in and find out. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly on this episode. Missy and I are coming to you from New Orleans, Louisiana, as we attend the 125th anniversary of the Lot Carey Convention. Missy and I are going to catch up, then we're going to talk about what's going on in the news currently, and then later on in the pod, we sat down with Reverend Nathan Russell, who's the senior pastor at Washington Avenue Christian Church in Elyria, Ohio. He's here to talk about how his church is eliminating a significant amount of medical debt for people in Ohio. It's a great interview, so you're going to stay tuned. Missy, we are in New Orleans, Louisiana, and you have dressed up for the occasion. Well, it is our third pod date, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means, ladies and gentlemen. Is that not why we're recording in a hotel room, Mitch? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just want to point out to all of the listeners that... Uh, Missy and I are married, and so that was totally appropriate. <laughs> so, uh, HR, if you're listening, just uh, disregard the latest comment. Right. So, <laughs> while we're on the subject of being in a hotel room, Mitch, yes, I'm going to go on a rant. Okay. And I'm going to step on my soapbox. So, you are well aware that I have a significant list of grievances against hotels. We travel quite a bit. And I'm always adding to my list. Correct. Okay. So now that I have this platform to discuss with our listeners, I'm going to bring this to the attention. I realize hotels historically were probably designed by men. What I don't understand is they are probably still designed by men. And here's my grievance for today. Watch out, folks. Here it comes. Reflective surfaces, excuse me, do not belong anywhere near a toilet (laughs) or on the floor of a shower. Oh, for the last 26 years, ladies and gentlemen, I have been listening to this rant, so proceed. Okay. We are in a hotel room that has a reflective surface right beside the toilet, and I bet (laughs) you, as a man, have not even noticed this, have you? Uh, No, I have not noticed it at all. There are some places... Or I've looked over and said, how you doing? There are some places we just don't need a reflection. (laughs) One of those is in front of the toilet. Yep. Another of those is on the floor of the shower. And now a third one I'm adding during this hotel stay is to the side of the toilet. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's the challenge for the week. For those of you who are out there who have your pet peeves about hotels, post them in the, uh, on, on the Facebook page, on Twitter, with the hashtag Missy's Pet Peeves. That That's is right. hashtag Missy's Pet Peeves. We'll add to the list. I have quite a list going, but this is what's fresh on my mind right now. It just baffles me 
that even still we are staying at hotels where um, these things occur. So I feel like this is universal. This should not happen. Um, but that's that's my grievance of the week. And the second hashtag is first world problems. So oh, absolutely. <laughs> We're about to dive into some much heavier issues. I thought we should start with something a little lighter. Oh, well, there you go. Well, I know that our listeners probably have similar stories. So please uh, tell us your story. We would love to hear it. Well, Missy, lots going on in the news this week. Uh, let's start out with the biggest story of all, and that is... Uh, the primaries that took place uh, this week, especially in Alaska and Wyoming. But the big story everybody's talking about is that uh, Representative uh, Liz Cheney from Wyoming was defeated in her primary bid. Uh, she will no longer be serving in the Congress. Uh, of course, uh, Liz Cheney has been a very staunch critic of former President Donald Trump. She's on the January 6th committee. Uh, she has put country over party, and because of her integrity and conviction, it has cost her her seat in the United States House. And it just seems as though there is a growing li list in this country of more and more extreme right candidates making their way onto the ballot and into the halls of government. So what do you think about uh, all of this uh, coming down this week? Well, I sent you a tweet the other day, and I'm not familiar with the rules of tweet quoting, <laughs> okay. so you may need to tell me. <laughs> tweet but, quoting is right above quoting Wikipedia, so proceed. Okay, well then let's let's go, <laughs> let's proceed in that spirit. This is by someone, Dave Pell. I don't know who he is, maybe I should know. I'm but, sure he's a great guy. Okay, I'm sure he's lovely. Um but he said something that really resonated with me, and I sent it to you. It mm -hmm. says, uh, America doesn't have a polarization problem. America has a GOP radicalization problem. Cover it that way. And that made so much sense to me because we're seeing with this uh, primary defeat of Liz Cheney this very thing at work, um, in my opinion, um, take it for what it's worth, is is that the radicalization has become such a problem that um, she has now lost her primary seat. Um, you know, she may not somebody, be somebody I agree with on all fronts, but it's um, good to see that she's going to remain in the public conversation and um, that she is standing by her values. And, and unfortunately, her convictions have cost her greatly, but I admire anyone who is going to put themselves out there and who say, you know what, what, what I feel is right is more important than me keeping a position. And she knew going in she was not going to win, and she didn't. So I, I'm interested to see where she goes next. You know, that tweet, when you sent it to me, I mean, it resonated with me so much because it, I mean, it's almost poetic that we're sitting here in New Orleans, Louisiana, in the shadow of Café Du Monde, because I'm going to tell a long story, uh, hopefully try to condense it to, for our listeners. But he is a preacher, folks. <laughs> that's exactly right. Don't forget that. Might want to grab a drink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what you are talking about is so important because you and I grew up in conservative households um, and we grew up with um, 
you know, significant influence of family members and friends who voted in the Republican Party, who were conservative, both in their politics and their theology. We were exposed to more progressive uh, thoughts and policies within our friends and family, especially when uh, President Carter ran for office. But primarily, we I was were a baby then. How about you? <laughs> uh, I was thinking in high school. <laughs> That's another pod for another day. <laughs> uh, but the point being is that we grew up in households that had principles. And those principles were guided by conviction. And those convictions were built upon how you saw the world, whether it was through a more progressive lens or a more conservative lens. The Republican Party had certain values. Now, I may have disagreed with some of those values and policies, but we could have a civil conversation and debate in hope that we could reach a compromise and consensus to move the conversation and the culture and the country forward. The Republican Party today is no longer the Republican Party of my great-grandfather and my grandfather and my father. The Republican Party is now a right-wing radical institution. There are still good people within it, and I would put Liz Cheney as one of those people. Uh, Congressman Cheney and I would disagree on policy issues. Uh, same thing with uh, Adam Kinzinger out of Illinois. But they are respectable people. They're good, good people who have conscience. But the Republican Party has been taken over. Now, that's a long way to get to New Orleans, Louisiana. Author Sarah Diamond, in her fabulous book about dominionism, talks about how the Southern Baptist Convention was a test case for an attempt to take over the Republican Party by right-wing Christian nationalists. Here in New Orleans, Louisiana in 1978, Paul, Judge Paul Pressler and Reverend Paige Patterson sat down at Cafe Du Monde and crafted out the architecture and the strategy to take over the Southern Baptist Convention so that their worldview and their radical conservative fundamentalist theology would control the largest Protestant denomination in the world. And they accomplished it within 10 years. Once that was accomplished, the same people who put their efforts and resources into that effort turned their attention to the Republican Party. And this is the result of that effort. The Republican Party is no longer the party of Lincoln. It is no longer the party of General Eisenhower. It's not even the party of Ronald Reagan. It is the party of Donald Trump, which is a white Christian nationalist party that should send shivers down any sensible citizen in the United States and person of faith. This is a dangerous precedent that we're dealing with, and it's terrifying to think about what the consequences might be if it prevails. I agree, and I, sitting in my pew at three years old, 
How old were you then, 17? (laughs) (laughs) Had no idea any of this was going on. And then in 1980, I believe, is when kind of there's another marker of 1980. I I don't remember. Well, you had 1979 when the first uh, fundamentalist, Adrian Rogers, won the presidency of the SBC. 1980 uh, certainly was uh, paramount for the conservatives when you began to see a marriage between the religious right and the conservative party. Uh, President uh, or candidate Reagan at the time goes to Houston and talks to the Southern Baptist Pastors Conference, and he he said, which was it was ironic because that's where JFK went when he was talking about separation of church and state, and that the Pope was not going to dictate his policies if he became president. Spoke basically the same group of folks in Southern Baptist, but instead of saying what Kennedy said, Reagan says, "I know you can't endorse me." but I endorse you. And there the proposal was made and the wedding was set. And now we've got the siblings of that marriage and they're not good siblings. No. And, and you mentioned that. And as a matter of fact, we were in Dallas in, Oh geez. When was that? Was it 2015? I don't know now, but we were in Dallas at um, the Hyatt Regency off the the highway interchange there in Dallas in I think it was 2015 when the Southern Baptists were having their convention there and I remember looking I had run up to our hotel room to get something we were at another event and and I visibly watched the highway being shut it shut down um wondering what was going on and finding out later it was when I guess a vice president-elect, or at that time just a candidate, Mike Pence, was coming to speak to the Southern Baptist Convention at that time. And it just struck so differently at that point as as an adult aware of what this meant when you had a candidate for the vice presidency of the United States coming to speak to uh, a faith-based convention and just what that meant and where we've come from and and obviously having no idea in 1978 what was going on having learned since then how important that that meeting was the fact that we are in new orleans now just what that all the weight that this bears um in sadness at where we've we've come from and, and how much work there is to do yet um in our society. You're absolutely right. And I just, you know, I want to reach out to my Republican friends and colleagues, uh, those who are conservative by conviction, but are not radicalized. I just, I, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. I wish that we could work together as the January 6th uh, committee has worked together because there's too much at stake. I, I don't say this as hyperbole anymore, Missy. If we cannot get a grip on what is going on in our country, my great fear is that we're headed towards civil war. And I have never said that publicly before. I've never written about it before. But all the markers are there. And it terrifies me. And so I think that there is a vast majority of people of good faith out there, both progressive and conservative, who, like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, are putting country before party. And we need to work together to get this thing done. Let's talk a little bit about 
lot carry convention that we are attending right now. And I, I hope you packed well because there's so much to unpack. Uh, with this, I see what you did there. You Nicely see done. what I did there? Yeah. That was great, right? <laughs> I, I've been workshopping that one a while. <laughs> yeah. Nice done. Nicely done. <laughs> um, I want to talk about something Willie Francois, the pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church, says, and I know he's one of um, a person. He's a person that you greatly admire and definitely wanted to hear speak at this conference. And I'm going to throw a quote at you, and we're going to talk about it. Um, he said yesterday, It's easy for us to do charity, uh, you know, the kind of individualized one-offs that give us instant gratification. Uh, and the work of charity is necessary. It's important. People are hurting now. People are suffering now. People are suffocating now. And so we have to do the work that meets the symptoms of injustice. But that should not absolve us or give us reason not to raise questions about the actual root causes to the problem. Justice makes charity unnecessary. The reason why we have to do charity is because there's so much injustice in the world. I want to unpack this a little bit and hopefully give you a chance to talk because I have lots of thoughts. <laughs> well, you know, it, it was a great presentation that Willie Francois uh, put together uh, here at Lock Carey, which is a great, great meeting this week here in Louisiana, 125th anniversary. Just want to give uh, lots of thank yous to Reverend uh, Emmett Dunn and the first female president in 125 years, uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, Gina Stewart. It's just, they've been gracious hosts. And it's just been a, a great, great meeting. But in one of the breakouts, Willie talks about exactly what you mentioned, this difference between charity and justice. The, the church does charity well, but does not do justice well. He went on to say that, you know, a lot of churches like to do charity on Saturday but don't want to worship with those some same people on Sunday. And I thought that was extremely profound. He also talked about the importance of not advocating for reconciliation, but looking to advocate for repairing and re repairing the systems that are currently broken. As we came out of the pandemic, many people were, were saying, we want to get back to normal, we want to get back to normal. And Reverend Francois said, I don't want to go back to normal because normal was an oppressive, marginalized system for many, many people in this world. He is thinking more about creative imagination, a divine imagination that sees the world as a more just society. And the only way for us to do this is to bring these oppressive and unjust systems to their knees and re uh, destroy them and rebuild them like we need to in an equitable and just way. And he just did a brilliant job talking about that. So you took a little bit of a different route than I wanted to go, but um, that's okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know me. Yeah, I mean, you know me by now. I will say that that really resonated with me because um, if we make charity unnecessary, what does that mean for us? And I was thinking about charity in terms of we get to feel good, Mitch. 
yeah. when we take part in charity. And if any of you are friends, um, fans, remember when Phoebe gets looks for um, an unselfish good deed and she allows a, a bee to sting her? Um, that's kind of what I'm thinking is that we're in search of this thing that really truly does good for society. I feel like charity allows us a chance to pat ourselves on the back. What if we had justice in the world? Where does that leave charity? And I do feel like as I've kind of marinated on his thoughts a little bit, this time of year, it's August. I don't know about you. My social media feed is flooded with teachers sharing their Amazon wish list. And it made me feel good to go online and purchase those jello shot cups for your brother's classroom. <laughs> Which were so appropriate. My, I'm not my, sure my what brother's your brother... in elementary school or <laughs> middle school now, I guess, uh, a art teacher. And, I'm uh, not sure a what lot he's of creative doing things. with jello shot glasses in his sixth grade art classes, but I don't care. I just wanted to be the one that bought them. Um, but it made me feel good to do that. But then I think, what if we adequately funded teachers' classrooms? Then what does that give me room to do? In our interview with Nathan today, we talk about an organization, RIP Medical Debt, that seeks to eradicate medical debt for people who, are, who cannot pay their medical bills. And, you know, related to that, we see lots of requests on social media for GoFundMes related to medical expenses. And they all pull at the heartstrings, and and I donate when I can and want to donate even more. What if that weren't an issue for people? Then what do I do? Well, you know what? What if I had the ability to take that same $50 I donated towards chemo treatment for someone, and instead I make a meal for them? And I am able to do those intangible things that are so needed and so necessary in this moment. When you take away the cha- what, what has become charity in a sense that I'm not helping you to survive during this difficult time, I'm literally helping you avoid financial ruin. What if I'm now able to just care for you as a human being to... Even, you know, in the situation of of donating to your brother's classroom, what if I'm able to, instead of donating shot glasses or shot, (laughs) jello shot containers to his art classes, which are actually used for paint people, I promise. um, What if I'm able now to go and, you know what, watch his kids Mm. on Meet the Teacher Night so that he doesn't have to hire a babysitter. Which you've done. Which I've done. But I'm just saying that, (laughs) What if we we switch the focus? What if we as a society adequately fund and adequately provide medical care and adequately do the things that we are supposed to do as a society? There's always room for us to help. There's always room for charity. We have just now become so used to charity being redefined as, you know what? You need to help this person pay for their medical treatment that's necessary for them to actually survive. For a teacher to have books in a classroom we now have to crowdsource this. That's not okay. Amen. Let's transition because we, you and I sat down with this incredible pastor in Ohio who's doing some incredible work through his congregation because 
medical debt in this country is out of control. The number one reason people go into bankruptcy and have trouble making bills is because of medical debt. And Nathan Russell and his congregation in Ohio are doing something about it. They are. And I will just say that our interview with Nathan was my first interaction with him. And I don't think I've ever met someone who just exudes such an infectious personality over Zoom. Um, such joy and and such charisma that I just I want to spend more time with him. I wish we had had more time with him. Um, but his passion for this ministry is just palpable. It made me want to get in on the floor of it and to help out. You're right. Medical debt is devastating. You and I know this personally um, from our you know, experience of raising two children and, and having insurance. And so I, I enjoyed our conversation. I very much might have a little crush on Nathan now. Um, I hope that's okay. <laughs> I'm totally okay with it because I kind of got a little crush on him too. He's a great guy. <laughs> All right. Um, we enjoyed our time together and are just very passionate about his, his mission and his, his focus. And I hope that uh, our listeners will enjoy the conversation and also participate in our IP medical debt. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, stay tuned. After the break, we're going to be with Reverend Nathan Russell, who's a senior pastor at Washington Avenue Christian Church in Elyria, Ohio. Hey, listeners, check us out online at goodfaithmedia.org and follow us on social at gfmedia.org. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I'm new here and could really use the feedback, but only if it's glowing. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us. Reverend Nathan A. Russell is the senior pastor at Washington Avenue Christian Church in Elyria, Ohio. He graduated from Bright Divinity School at Texas Christian University and was ordained in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. In March 2016, Morehouse College in Atlanta inducted Reverend Russell into the Martin Luther King Jr. Board of Preachers. Before attending seminary, Reverend Russell earned undergraduate and graduate degrees at West Texas A&M University and completed postgraduate work in choral conducting and music education at Michigan State University. He taught choral music at the high school and collegiate levels for seven years. Apart from his ministerial work, Pastor Nathan enjoys an active life of music, exercise, and travel. He sings with the Cleveland Orchestra Choir, and in November 2021, Nathan and his partner Chad became dog parents to a German shepherd named Thunder. My goodness, you're a busy man. Nathan, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thanks for having me. So glad to be here. Now, Nathan, you and I met a long time ago at an LGBTQI plus welcoming and affirming group, a Baptist in Texas. And I know that very statement right there, there's much to unpack, beginning with welcoming and affirming Baptist. However, Nathan, you are now a disciples minister in Ohio. So just tell us real quickly about that journey. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, my dean at uh, Bright Divinity School said once after I preached, there are some things that you cannot extract from a Baptist. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm died in the wool bag. Yeah, that is loaded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are parts of me that will always be Baptist. And the, the Baptist tenets of like congregational autonomy 
and uh, soul competency, the priesthood of all believers, uh, resonate with the Christian church disciples of Christ. Sure. And so when I was on this journey uh, to, to leave home in order to find home, there were, there were Baptist tenants that I wanted to find in uh, a more affirming and progressive context. Mm-hmm. And that for me was the Christian church disciples of Christ. At the same time, disciples run the gamut just like sure. Baptists do. So uh, my last few years in Fort Worth, uh, when I was discerning my call to pastoral ministry, I did so at Broadway Baptist. So oh, yeah. uh, a part of me uh, <laughs> still uh, resides at, at Broadway. And we've even had people from this church here in Elyria travel to Texas to go visit really? this wonderfully inclusive church called Broadway. So, That's you know, uh, we're, we're all one capital C church, Baptist disciples. Sure. We're in this thing together. Well, we got a lot of great friends in the disciples church and you know what they say about us Baptists though, Nathan, you can take the kid out of the Baptist church, but you can never take Baptist out of the kids. So <laughs> we, as long as they don't wear white shoes before Easter or after Labor Day. I didn't know. Is that is that like in the Baptist Faith of Message two thousand twenty two? You know this. My grandmother would roll over in her grave if I walked into church with white sandals on the week after Labor Day. Yeah, Nathan, you're finding out that Missy's a little bit of a fundamentalist when it comes to things like that. So Well, I knew the white after Labor Day rule. Uh, Easter is when you get to break out the white sandals. Come on. Uh, So um, the reason we had you here to talk today is because you have a really fascinating story with your church. I'm so intrigued. Uh, The church where you serve, Washington Avenue Christian Church, has committed to abolishing $1 million in medical debt, specifically for Lorain County and Ohio residents. Tell us what prompted the church to pursue this goal and the theological conviction behind it. In May of this year, we had a donor uh, give us $2,500 to fund bus tickets to go to the the moral assembly that the Reverend Dr. William Barber was leading in uh, Washington, D.C. And we were all set to go. We had reservations. Everything was looking good. Then the person organizing that got sick and we couldn't we couldn't go as as we wanted. So we had to come up with with plan B. And our plan B was we would stream the event here on Washington Avenue instead of going to Washington, D.C. So. At the end of our uh, participation in the event virtually, we decided to take the $2,500 that we had been given for bus tickets and distribute that money to make a, a local, county, state, and nationwide impact. So we did these different $500 donations, but at the end we had 1000 left over. So I pitched this idea. I said, there's an organization called RIP Medical Debt, and we can use this remaining $1,000 to abolish $100,000 in medical debt. And everyone's eyes just, <laughs> you know, just ballooned. They were so excited about that. And, and so we did it. The, the very next day was a Sunday. So I preached about what we had what we had done um, by streaming the moral assembly. And I got to that last point of 
wiping out a hundred thousand dollars in medical debt. And you could have just, you could have heard a pin drop that people were like, how is this possible? We, we had taken $2,500 and we were just subtracting, subtracting and subtracting. But now we had this $1,000 that we, we multiplied. Like, I mean, there's tons of theological significance there. I'm thinking fishes and loaves. Mm -hmm. Fishes and loaves, right? Right. You, You know, just, just, you never know what God is going to do with a little bit. So, um, Immediately after that that worship service, people said, "Is there more that we can do, or can we participate in this on our own?" And and so I said, "Yes, of course, there are all kinds of opportunities." But there there was there was so much feedback that it was clear the church needed to take on an initiative. So we kicked it to our outreach committee, and they said, "You know what? Let's set a goal of raising five thousand dollars to wipe out one half million dollars in medical debt." And we thought that was a good, achievable, ambitious goal. The only problem was we met that goal before we even announced it. Wow. So I, I went back to the outreach committee. I said, so good news and bad news. Bad news is uh, we shorted our goal. Uh, the The good news is we need to revise it. So we, we decided that we would double it mm. to a million dollars, which – we met within a week. Yeah. Uh, so what it's going to be now, I mean, I, mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to jump to any conclusions. Right. It looks like we're going to abolish two million wow. oh medical debt. We're, we're so close. We're not yeah. there yet, but I, I, I think I, we're going to get I feel it. a little like a wolf blitzer right now. Breaking news. Right? <laughs> this is what's going to send us to the top of the chart. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that, that is fantastic. And, and so you talked a little bit about the process and how you came up with the million dollars, uh, which is now sounding like it's going to be even double that. Um, tell us a little bit about the conversation because, I mean, there had to be this kind of theological reflection, missional reflection going on within the congregation. I know as a pastor, I used to really, really enjoy and struggle along with the congregation at times as this conversation unfolded. So how did your members, you know, process this as, as this goal was set? The first thing to say is I inherited a congregation that is very committed to outreach. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are nowhere near like in the top 100 disciples churches in, in terms of attendance or, or budget, but we have been in, in that top tier in terms of our commitment to outreach and outreach giving. So that's long been in the DNA of this contra- uh, of this congregation before I, long before I got here. So, uh, I, I inherited that. I cannot take credit for it. But what is cool to see is how the congregation's wheels are beginning to uh, to turn and think about how does outreach coincide with issues of justice. Mm. So what's happening now is people know that medical debt is the number one cause of financial ruin in this country. Uh, they know that medical care is is often not not optional we we have to have this and yet we live in uh within a system that makes healthcare a, a privilege instead of a right and people can go into just a, a, a ton of debt to stay alive mm. 
And our congregation thinks that that is not uh, that system and the continuation of that system is not part of the future God wants and ultimately will have. I read the article that you sent about your church's story and literally just got chills. Um, We are some of those people who we have not been in financial ruin, thank goodness. But as our children were growing up and, you know, working in the field that we do, we're not you know, we don't get to have the big corporation um, insurance. And it was always a fight to get insurance. And even when we did, you know, have, I mean, we've always been able to have it, but it's never great. And, you know, as a young couple starting out with two babies, I mean, they have one little thing, need one little procedure. And all of a sudden we're looking at a bill that we cannot pay. Mm. Um, It, it, it's still so raw. Um, I just think this is such an amazing, amazing thing that you guys did. Yeah. And what's ama- even more amazing about it, Nathan, I mean, you're not, I mean, uh, Washington Avenue is not a large church. I mean, this figure you came up with is three times your budget. Any church in America can do this, right? Exactly. Any church can do it. And what's cool with this partnership with RIP Medical Debt once once you hit the $5,000 tier, that's when you can start targeting these large portfolios of debt that they're able to acquire. So when I, I called them and said, look, we want to do a, a larger uh, debt buyback. Uh, initially, you know, we wanted to start with the, the 5,000 to abolish 500,000. And they said, well, we can tell you right now there's $500,000 in Lorain County that can be abolished. So going back to my congregation and saying, hey, this is going to have a local impact. This is for our neighbors. There, there was immediate buy-in. Um, and there's, a, there's another cool part of this too, that when, when it's all said and done and the debt is abolished, RIP medical debt is going to send letters to everyone whose debt has been canceled. And, and they're going to say Washington Avenue, Christian church, disciples of Christ wiped out your debt. Wow. What a great testimony. I mean, this is what the church should be doing and you're doing it. So thank you so much. Oh, tell us um, real quick. How do people who need this program access? Is there a way to apply or is it just a, a luck of the draw? How does that work? Yeah, so there there is some good news and bad news uh, with with that, um, and we've we've experienced some of of that tension, which is a really helpful uh, reminder. RIP buys up medical debt in large portfolios, so it's random. So you can't quote unquote apply uh, for for your debt to be mm-hmm. be canceled. Uh, also, there, there is a formula that your debt, uh, so your annual income cannot be more than four times of the, uh, of the poverty level, mm-hmm. or your medical debt has to be at such a, a, an amount above. So it's not just, it, you can't be wealthy sure. and, and, and have your debt forgiven. We've had some people read the like, newspaper articles uh, in, our, in our local media and call the church and say, Hey, this applies to us. How can we get involved? And so that's, that's still a tug at my heart to realize that 
yes, we can participate in this really good and necessary work and it will, it will help, Mm -hmm. but it does not solve the larger issue for, for everyone. So there's the, there's a tension within that to, to keep in mind that this does alleviate the financial burden for some people, but it does not entirely address the system. But it's a, it's a start. And you can't start until you put one foot forward and then hopefully that snowball effect will continue on. And then also you've got an organization there that knows the totality of the needs in your community. You know, churches are often, you know, very restricted in the relationships that they have, the knowledge of the needs in their community. They, They may have a macro understanding of those needs, but not necessarily a micro understanding of those needs. And so organizations like RP that you're working with can help identify those needs and you're reaching people that you would never reach, uh, ministry wise, uh, through this program. So it's just really, really outstanding. So here's my, here's my uh, next question. This is incredible of us. I've already said, any church can do this. You and Washington Avenue have taken the lead in your community to eliminate hopefully what's going to be 200 or $2 million in medical debt. There are going to be ministers all across the country that hopefully listen to this podcast and want to know how to get started in this program. What advice would you have for those pastors? RIP Medical Debt has an excellent development team that uh, works with, with any nonprofit, certainly any church that would want to begin this initiative. So I went online, found a development officer to contact, called them and said, we want to work with your, with, with your organization to do some good work on behalf of God's justice and joy uh, Peace and shalom here in Lorain County and throughout the state of Ohio. How can we make this happen? And they've been overjoyed to uh, work with us. And even their their vice president of communications helped us write the press release. So uh, they've interacted with, with us on social media as well. All, all it took for me was going on their website and making a phone call, which I'd contend that any pastor can do. And we, we've also had several congregations contact us now uh, already to say, could, could we do this too? Or could we get involved with you? So um, congregations in Mesa, Arizona wow. and uh, Indi- Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, and one more here in Ohio said, this is just great. Is it, is it open to anybody? And the, and the answer is yes. It's amazing. And I think this is just something that even if we can all relate to as, you know, people who would have fallen in the category of quote unquote middle class, you know, for all of our married life, um, we can relate. And I, I think that's part of the response. And I, I'm so thankful to know of this and want to get involved because it's, it's not, um, it's not uncommon and uh, I hope that's why people are, are excited about this, because we all have been there, I feel like, at a time or two in our lives. 
And so, Nathan, you, uh, you're you open to receiving some emails about this from pastors and lay leaders across the country just to want to know more about the program. But before you email Nathan, make sure you go to their website at org. Uh, there's a great description about the program and uh, talks about what they're doing there in uh, Elyria, Ohio. So uh, do your research, but I'm certain Nathan would be willing to, to talk to any leaders out there that want to do this. So, well, Nathan, you probably spell Illyria for people. Oh, Illyria. That would be E L Y R I A. All right. Now the whole website all together. W A C C E L Y R I A dot O R G. Hey. Thank you. Did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm good that way. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> uh, well, Nathan, it's been a delight. Is there anything that you, do you want to add to this conversation that, that we didn't ask? Uh, because I know there's there's a lot more to it than what we just touched on today. I think people uh, in our world are, are craving for good news from the church. So when the news about our, our initiative went out just in local media, it, it caught fire. Mm-hmm. And we've had people contribute online, people who we don't know, people who have no formal connection with our church, but live in the area because they're so longing to be part of something that can make a significant impact locally and, and throughout the nation. Mm. So this is, uh, there are multiple elements of evangelism in this effort, not only for the people whose debts are going to be abolished, but also for the people who make that happen. That is fantastic. Well, we just want to give a big applause to you for your leadership and the great congregation at Washington Avenue Christian Church. Well done, my friend. This is really incredible news and just a a great story. And uh, I hope it catches on across the country because, as we've talked about, this is a significant need for people, and it's going to the people who need it the most. So this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. So great job. Nathan, I get the last question. Um, Our tagline, as you may know, here at Good Faith Media is, there's more to tell. In light of what we've discussed today and your work at Washington Avenue, what is your more to tell? In the very best, most beautiful gospel good news of Jesus Christ, there's always more to tell. There's more to do, more to be and to become, more to dare and more to dream. Who knows where the Spirit of God will lead us and what she will inspire us to do on God's behalf. Well, I will follow that up by saying, are you streaming your services online? Because <laughs> I need to be there. <laughs> we are. We, we, have, uh, we have a good online presence. I'm, I'm, I mean, thanks COVID for mm-hmm. right. uh, yeah. causing us to, to do that. And uh, a few weeks ago, this is the... Wednesday worship service that we had following, uh, I'm just going to say some some decisions that came down from the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. We had a worship service that had over about. a month. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Said, what? The Supreme right Court now? did something? <laughs> the Supreme Court did something. And so I was like, all right, we're going to address it. So I wore my justice mm-hmm. shirt yeah. and, um, and that worship service hit 11,000 views. Wow. So, um, you know, there, I, I think people really are craving something that is relevant and right. meaningful and true and can help people make sense of 
the mess in the, that we live in at times and, and how to work toward good in that. Well, Nathan, we appreciate uh, your story. We appreciate the work that you're doing there in Elyria, Ohio. And more importantly, my friend, we appreciate you. You're just doing a great job, and thank you so much. And thanks for being a guest today at uh, Good Faith Weekly. You have thank honored you. me with the invitation and the dialogue. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond5. And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org. <laughs>